Good morning, everyone. We're so happy to have you here. Welcome to Crossroads. Will you all please stand and worship with us this morning?
Good morning. Have a seat. Crossroads, our mission here is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It is always and forever will be about Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen in the house? And so, listen, we love to see people who are far from Christ find Jesus and become new. We were once dead, now we are alive, all because of Jesus. Nothing to do with great efforts or anything, only because of Christ. So thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ. And so a few things, Crossroads, that are coming up. Um, one is that we have our trunk and treat on the 25th of October. And I um, just checked uh, after the last gathering to see where um, our signups are. 717. 717 kids are coming, man. That's wonderful. Like, that's awesome. And so, uh, yeah, be in prayer for this. Two things. If you would like to um, seriously bring your kids, invite someone to come with you and meet them up here in the parking lot, walk around, get some candy, hang out. It's so much fun. There's lights in the backfield. It's like you open up. It's like going through the tunnels, right? You go through the tunnels. You go through the woods. You end up in our trunk and treat. You know, it's, it's, it's so much fun. And so come on out on the 25th of October, bring your kids, invite someone to come with you. And then the other thing is if you'd like to be on the team that serves a trunk and treat in your uh, bulletin, there's a, piece, there's a piece of paper that you can fill out. You can also stop by the Welcome Center and you can find out more information on how to serve um, at trunk and treat and be a part of that team. So that's 25th, be in prayer church. It's going to be an awesome time. The 29th of October, Pastor Ken is going to be leading a How to Share Your Faith workshop at 6 p.m. here at the church. You can register for this workshop online, or you can stop by the Welcome Center, and they can help you out there as well. If you look in your bulletin, there's a lot of things coming up as we are getting quickly uh, into, you know, we're, we're into October, and we're getting pretty soon November and December. It's coming up, and so there's a few things that are coming up, baby dedications on the 11th and 12th of uh, November, and then we're getting into you know, the end of November, um, we're having a Thanksgiving Eve gathering. So just look at those dates, mark them on your calendar, and uh, just know that what we got coming up is exciting um, because this is a vibrant community of people that love God. And so we can't wait to see what God's going to do as we head into October, November, December, and we'll keep going, okay? So we're glad that you're all here. All of our guests, welcome. We're thrilled you're here. Stop by the Welcome Center before you leave. Um, we'd love to talk with you. We also have a gift for you. So all of our guests, please stop by the Welcome Center. Guys, would you all stand, Crossroads, would you stand with me this morning here in the house um, as we continue in song, and and then we're going to open up the Bible, and we're going to see God's truth for our life. Um, I also want to pause and say thank you for being faithful in giving. Uh, You guys can give online through the mail or the offering boxes here at the church, Um, but thank you for being faithful in giving to the Lord. Remember, all about Christ, bringing people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being faithful. Lord, we pause and we approach you. Um, we approach you as your word tells us with boldness, with confidence. God, um, we don't deserve grace um, but or mercy, Lord, but you show it to us daily. Um, we thank you for Christ, and we thank you uh, for our salvation, our rescue that's only found in him. Lord, as we open up the Bible, as we open up your word, as we um, hang out afterwards, as we head into the rest of our day and then our weeks, Lord, would the truth that we talk about this morning be on our hearts, on our minds, as we head into this week, um, that this would be a rally cry as we head into our weeks, because this world, God, it's, it's, we understand that it's broken, we understand that it's um, dark, and when darkness needs light, brokenness needs fixing, and the only way that we can find, a, a, not just a fix, but find hope and a purpose out of the brokenness is through Christ. 
only through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we rally this morning in the name of Jesus, would you change us this morning? Give us confidence. Give us boldness because we've met with you. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
a great day. Aren't you thankful to be here and worship our Lord today? Let's thank our great God. What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. This morning, I want to, before we jump into our message, I want to pause again and just uh, have prayer for the situation in our world right now. This thing in the, in the Middle East with, with Israel, uh, the conflict that you've been watching this week has been just overwhelming. It's been terrible to watch. And uh, I want to put up that picture again of that ambulance that we sent. It was just this time last year. We dedicated this ambulance, and we sent it over there to Israel. And it was, uh, it's, it's gone overseas. It's been there for a whole year now. And we are so thankful that we got it there because this, they tell me that this is active in serving the people right now with all the trauma that's happening there. So thank you, Crossroads, for your significant part in that. You, uh, you, if without you, that would not be there. You gave to this and you helped that go but, uh, but through the birthday gift to Jesus funds. And we sent that over there. But I want to continue to pray for Israel this morning. You know, uh, people have asked me a little bit about this whole situation. They say, well, you know, when we see Israel, it's the Israel, that, uh, the Israel of the Bible. We see this in the Bible. God talked about a nation, Israel. He gave them that land. And so the fighting and all this, and, and man, this is a tough battle that they're in right now. But people have asked me, what does this mean for the Lord's return? Jesus is coming back. What does this mean with Jesus coming back? And I can tell you this. Jesus is coming back soon. We don't know when. Jesus himself said that no man knows the day or the hour. So I do not know when Jesus is coming back, but I know it's soon. And he told us to live every day as though Jesus were coming back. And how do we live every day as though Jesus were coming back? We live holy lives. We live lives that are honoring and pleasing to the Lord. We have one eye open and one eye closed. It's called praying and watching. I've got one eye in prayer and one eye on what's happening in our world. And uh, people have asked me, this battle that's taking place now, do we see it in Bible prophecy? And, uh, and I will tell you that we don't know what this battle is. We know it's not the battle of Ezekiel 38, Gog and Magog. You can go and look that up. It's an interesting battle that will take place. There's a battle of Armageddon at the very end of the tribulation period. And so we know we're not there because, because we're here. But Jesus is coming back soon. I just want you to know, one day he will rapture. He will caught, the Bible says that he will catch up those in the air that are alive and remain who have trusted Jesus Christ. So can you imagine the rapture happens and all of a sudden I'm vanished? And you're vanished with me if you've trusted Jesus Christ. If not, you'll be sitting here looking at an empty pulpit. And, uh, you know, I can only imagine what the world will say, you know. Largest pastor in western Pennsylvania vanishes, right? I mean, that's what they will say. They'll be saying things like that, right? So you'll be hearing all these things. And, and I've been just looking at this and saying, okay, when will this happen? I'm not to be afraid of it, folks. We're not to be afraid of it. We're not to be so into it that we can't function. He says to live every day as though he's coming back. That means with urgency because we have a world that needs Jesus Christ. There are people within a stone's throw of this building that have never heard the name of Jesus. You say, how can that happen in America? That's my question. But they don't know Jesus. And our job is to go out and carry that message. So the, the events that are happening in Israel, my prayer is this. From Psalm 122, it says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So today we're going to pray, continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're just going to ask God to be with both sides of the casualties. Listen, there's so many um, casualties that are at stake and innocent people. And so we, we're, we don't want to see anybody lose their life. 
But we know that war is ugly. We know it's a terrible thing. But we know that God's hand will be on the nation of Israel. And there are promises in this book, the Bible, given to the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled. And God keeps his promise. Amen? God will always keep his promise. So as you're looking at the, the world events, you know, when I was younger, I used to always watch. And every time I saw Israel in the news, I get really, I get alarmed. I'm like, man, there's nothing to be alarmed about. I'm excited. One of these days, Jesus is going to call my name. He's going to call your name, and we are going to be at home in heaven with the Lord. And uh, this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we're just so thankful to be called your children today, Lord. God, we're thankful that you didn't um, work with man from a distance, but that you came to this earth. And the very land that they are fighting in right now is the land that you walked. Jesus walked those streets in Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Judea and Samaria, places that uh, are under attack right now, that bombs and rockets are coming to. And, Lord, uh, you said in your word that it would be that way. You said as we got closer to the end, there would be wars and rumors of wars. And so, Lord, uh, we don't look with fear. We look with great anticipation to the day that you will return. And, Lord, as we think this morning of the nation of Israel, God, we know that uh, your hand is at work. and We don't understand everything. Lord, we sometimes look at scriptures and try to see the fulfillment. But we know that you have fulfilled so much of your word already and that according to your word, you are ready to come. And so, Lord, we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask for your presence to be upon Jerusalem now. You said to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You said to pray for, for, for your people, Lord. And so we're asking you to give wisdom and guidance to leaders in Israel right now. Lord, for the, uh, for the opposition, Lord, there are many, many people that are just uh, don't even have a clue of what's happening. Many people that are just trying to live their life. And I pray, God, that you will uh, put your shield about them. For we want all to know Jesus, Lord. There is none that, uh, that, that should not know about the name of Jesus. So, God, we pray that you will let Jesus be known, Lord, through the airwaves, through uh, however you're going to choose to reach these people. But we pray for peace in this situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are going to look into 1 Peter chapter 3. And as you do, it's, uh, it's going to talk about an interesting thing here. I'm going to call it love and marriage, okay? And as you look at marriage, you're going to see it. You're going to say, okay, uh, whenever, if I say I'm going to talk about marriage, some people get really excited. Other people go, oh, no, what's he going to say, right? So I'm just going to give you this thing here. Whenever we see a marriage, um, I want you to know that marriage has a way of magnifying personalities, Marriage has a way of magnifying problems and magnifying differences. Some people say, well, I'm going to get married. Everything will be happy. Um, that's for about a week, all right? Uh, you have to get married. When you get married, if you had a problem before you got married, it only magnifies the problem. And here's why. Because there are now two people involved on the problem. So you had one person that was in on it. Now you have two people in on it. So that it magnifies the problem. So therefore, it does not mean that you shouldn't get married. It means that, that we have to learn how do we live according to God's plan in marriage. Um, there was an ad in the paper one time. A, a guy put this in the paper. He says, honey, please, I'm sorry, a lady, a wife put it in the paper. And she says, honey, please come home. 
The children miss you. The lawn hasn't been mowed in three weeks. And the garden needs a worm like you, your loving wife. And, uh, and so what that was was there was problems that were magnified. And so the, the problems had to be magnified. You know, problems get magnified. So marriage is not the answer to solve a problem. If you have a problem, you have to deal with the problem. Marriage is not how you solve it. You have to deal with it. So um, as we look at this today, I want you to look at this and understand that um, we're going to be talking about how the gospel changes families. It really does. And uh, that's the first point in your notes. The gospel, say that with me, the gospel changes families. The message that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day. And he offers new life to you. He will give new life in your marriage. He'll give new life in the midst of those problems. You got married and you brought problems together. Now you have double the problems. The gospel changes families. I want you to catch this because it can only be through the power of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that sadly says, oh, well, I'll just do this and I'll be happy. If I feel good, I'm going to be happy. No, if you feel good, you're not happy. That's just feeling good. That's all it is. And that, that feeling comes and goes. Uh, whatever that feeling is, it kind of comes and goes. You, you, can, you can get all kind of feelings. But the gospel will actually absolutely change lives. It changes situations. Acts 16.31 tells us how to have this change. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, you'll hear me quite often quote that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? So what he's talking about here, he says, you'll be saved and your household. What that does not mean, it does not mean that, okay, because uh, I have trusted Christ, that means my spouse is covered and my kids are covered. No, that's not what it means. Everyone must trust on the Lord. Believe, place your faith on Jesus Christ that he was buried and rose again the third day, that he paid for your sin. He's the ever-living Savior. That's where we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Each person must do this individually. He says, but you'll be saved, and then your household, your household will come along. Uh, if an unbelieving spouse, if you are the husband and you have trusted Christ and your wife is an unbeliever, eventually she will see the change in your life and she will come to Christ. It's the household, right? Uh, your kids will see this. And so we're going to look here this morning about, about an unbeliever and a believer that are together. This is not God's plan. God's, you know, I'm going to tell all of our young people here, when you're looking to go out and you're looking to get married, you want to find a believer. The scripture calls it unequally yoked. When a non-believer and a believer get together, that's called unequally yoked. It's not talking about eggs. It's talking about a, 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 a thing that they would put on two oxes. And so you'd have this wood piece that went across the ox, and there was two yokes that held them onto there. He says, don't be unequally yoked. If you have two oxen that were plowing the field and they want to go two different directions, you can't get the work done. Oh, it's possible, but you can't get the work done. It's pretty miserable, and it's, it's shattering. It's hard to deal with. And so he, the Scriptures tell us that. Don't be unequally yoked. And so what that does not mean, though, is if you are a believer and you are married to an unbeliever. So you're already married and, and you're married to an unbeliever. It does not mean that you leave your husband. It does not mean that you leave your wife. He's going to tell us here how to deal with this. C consider in the days of the Bible here. 
when a, when a wife would get married, she would automatically, and it was customary, that she would follow the God of her husband. If he worshipped the Greek gods, whatever he was into, she would abandon where she came from and she would do that. Not so with Christianity. Jesus came and he paid too high of a price to just say, well, it's another religion. This is not another religion. This is the one true living God. And so Peter comes along and Peter says, hey, listen, I want you to consider consider this. Understand how your husband, you know, your husband may worship the Greek gods. And I want you to understand because in that day, Christianity was viewed as like the, the revolution, the revolutionary movement and saying, hey, listen, those people are subversive. And so as you look at this, understand the context from which this passage comes from this morning. You know, a, uh, a, a woman in that day, uh, a wife, would have a lot of pressure, and she was not living a spiritually easy life. Oh, she would follow the things of God. But she was, you know, here's what happens. When, when you have this, you can share spirituality. Spirituality is the most intimate thing. More than physical. When you, spirit, when you share f- spiritual things, it is like glue to your soul. It is, it's like it, it, you, it, it's, it, it, you can't get enough of it, right? And so here's what happens. If a lady is married to an unbelieving man and they don't have that. So she's married physically but single spiritually. No. She cannot just go out. And some people today would say, well, just go out and leave and get whatever you want and find, find a godly man. That's not what the Scripture teaches here. The Scripture teaches that, that there's a, a better way. And Paul would say no. Peter says no. And, and I like this. You know, some people have told me, well, what if I married the wrong person? What? What if I married the wrong person? Zig Ziglar, I like what Zig Ziglar says in response to that question. He says, I have no way of knowing whether or not you married the wrong person. I do know that many people have a lot of wrong ideas about marriage and what it takes to make that marriage happy and successful. I'll be the first to admit that it is possible that you did marry the wrong person. However, if you treat the wrong person like the right person, you could well end up having married the right person after all. And so when you see that, it's really an attitude changes in your heart. And you begin to treat them. And this is what he's going to show us here. And this is the mindset I want you to think about as we go into 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life 
so that your prayers may, be, may not be hindered. And as we look at this passage this morning, I'm reminded that, you know, as a, as a pastor, I have to preach through the Bible. I'm preaching through God's Word. So we're, we're not, you know, we're on a book study. We've been in First Peter longer than I thought all four chapters. We'll, we'll, we'll get through that pretty quickly. But we're in chapter 3 today. Actually, there's five chapters, but we're in chapter 3, and we're just kind of taking our time and having fun. I hope you've enjoyed this because we're taking an in-depth look at what God has to say here. But, you know, whenever I read that first verse, likewise, wives, be subject or submissive, submit to your own husbands. I'm like, oh, that's just an awkward statement, isn't it? That's like, oh, do I really have to preach that? There's, a, there's other days I'd like to have some, I'd like to pick a different topic today, right? Because it's a scary word. But what we're going to do today, we're going to look at this passage. I'm going to show you what this means and what it doesn't mean. I'm going to show you how, what a joyous thing this is. We're going to look here today at the qualities of a transformed wife. The qualities of a transformed wife. As the wives, he starts out with the wives and then he talks to the men. So it takes a husband and a wife to make a family. And that's how God created it. In the beginning, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And as he placed them there, he said, this is good. And that's how he made the first family. And so as we do this, we're going to come and we're following along with Peter here. Peter's following along and saying, okay, let me show you how this works. Wives, there's things that you have to understand. And husbands, there's things that you have to understand. And it's kind of interesting because he sends this letter to all these people that are spread out all over Asia Minor. These new Christians that are running from from, uh, opposition and running from uh, all the suffering And he says, listen, you're going to learn how to do this. You're going to learn about submission. And so submission is a scary word in our society, but it really should not be. The reason that it is scary is because we have seen people misuse the word submission, and we have seen people misuse the whole concept of it. Look here. He says, likewise, uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one by their, by, by the, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So the first quality that I'm going to give you here this morning is this, is that her actions speak louder than her words. Say that with me. Her actions speak louder than words. So as she lives her life, her life is going to speak a much louder message by the way that she lives than the things that she says. Uh, An unmarried woman living at home in the Roman Empire. It was tough during the Roman Empire. They they did not have human rights. You're talking about human rights. They were never encouraging of human rights. They never gave things to women. They They were brutal in how they dealt with women. In the Roman Empire, Jesus came along and Jesus changed that. Folks, the reason that we have a change in our world today, that we do not see these brutal things that you hear about the days of old, is because Jesus came to this earth, and with Jesus came this Word of God that transformed societies. Amen? Listen, the society that you live in today has been changed. It was founded on the Word of God. So when you, take this, when you take this out, if you take God's Word out of the picture, this is where we begin to lose everything. And this is why the world is spinning out of control. Because society no longer comes and says, I have respect for what God says. I'm going to follow what God says. So the message here today, folks, is not to society. It's to you as a believer. 
And he's given us this, this powerful message here. And so the, the, the unmarried, women, unmarried woman living in those days uh, under the Roman Empire, she was under the Roman law uh, of her father. The father would have the absolute authority over the child. I read one statement said that a Roman father even had the right that he could execute his own children without any legal repercussions. It was a barbaric society. Uh, when, Roman, when a Roman woman was, would be married, those rights would be passed on from the father of the family over to the husband of the new family. And so a Roman, Roman woman would, uh, would have this new she would have a new owner, if you will. And that is so far removed from what God was teaching here. But why does Peter talk about this? I want you to catch this. Why does Peter say this? Why does Peter give six times the length? He gives six verses to, to the women, and he gives one verse to the man, one verse to the husband, and six to the woman, six to the wife. And what he says here, what it is, is because it was so complicated in those days. Women, they, had, they, were, they were no respect. It was a terrible way of life. Jesus, again, like I said, Jesus validated women. Jesus included, and, and just catch this, the very first eyewitness we have at the tomb was a woman. In those days, a woman in a court of law it would not be respected. Nobody would give any validation to it. That's the type of world it was in. And Jesus said, why is it in the Bible that way that the woman had the first, had the first eyewitness account? Why? Because it's true. And Jesus validated his message of, uh, of, of caring for women as well. And I want you to catch this. The position of being a wife in those days was extremely complicated. If a husband converted to Christianity, then the wife would just normally flow, follow. She would follow in the flow of, hey, whatever it is. Hey, he's a Christian. Now I'm going to become a Christian. She would just follow behind. But if the husband, if the wife converted to Christianity, the husband, he's still out there doing his thing. And she now has to make a separation. She now has to say, I'm not going to worship the Greek gods anymore. My life has changed. I'm no longer going to go that old way anymore. I serve a new master. I have a new superior authority, and that is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give everything to him. And so Peter's going to give us a couple principles here. One of them, he's telling the family, don't, you know, you don't, you don't just run off because your spouse is a non-believer. You don't just go out and find something better, something that gives you that, that intimacy that you're missing. He says, you stick with your husband. 1 Corinthians 7.14 says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Sanctified means set apart unto holiness. Another translation says it like this, For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. And so as we look at this this morning and we see what God says here, look, he says, look, whenever, if, you are an, if you're married to an unbelieving spouse, and the believing spouse now, you've become a believer. Because, by the way, catch this, quite often God will start with one in the family. God will start with one. Quite often, sometimes you'll see a husband and wife come, and they, they come to Christ right away. Many times I'll see just a wife. Many times I'll see just a husband. And what happens here is God has placed you, uh, if you're a believing wife like he's talking about here, 
with an unbeliever husband, God has placed you in a key area that you can bring him to God. And how do we bring this person to God? We bring your spouse to God through your lifestyle. So we stick with your spouse. He tells him, stick with your husband. Don't leave him because you're unequally yoked. You stick it out. And this is where submit. Likewise, wives, be subject, be submissive to your own husbands. He says, you should live as a good wife. Live as a good wife in the society there. And as we look at this here today, he says, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see that you're respectful and you're pure conduct. Um, Listen, here's what he's talking about here. When you hear the word submission, do not be alarmed. We got, when I said to submit to the local authorities, as, as Peter told us here a few weeks ago, uh, eyebrows were raised. What do you mean? What are we talking about? I uh, told you to submit to your employer. What do we mean? What are we talking about? How do, why do I have to submit? So submit is just an order. And submit does not, re, re, submit does not tell us inferior. Many people will say that submission, you have to submit because he's stronger or he's more important. That is not what it is. Citizens, we are to submit to the government. Why? Because we are told that's the order, not because they are more important. The people that are in elected officials are not more important than I am, and they're not more important than you, even if you didn't vote for them or you did vote for them. They are not more important. You are not inferior. Your boss, your boss has taken tremendous risk. You know why he's the boss? Because he took the risk. He, he paid the price. He, he may be the employer. He may own his own company. He put up his own house. He mortgaged his own house so you could have a job. That doesn't make him better than you. It makes the order of how things work. And see, here's what happens. We come and we, will, we take things for, uh, for advantage and we just kind of, ah, whatever. God says, submit to this. Submit to this. Yes, you may not like what your boss says. Submit to the boss. And now he says here about a Christian woman. He says here, I want you to catch this because a Christian woman is, is to submit to the husband. But look in this context. Galatians 3.28 says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in, in God's eyes, it's not the, the male's higher or the female's lower. That's not what submission is about. Submission is how to get things done. How, to, how does it work? This isn't like the military where I you know, go home and, okay, my coffee was cold. Give me 20 push-ups. You know, that, that's, that's, that's not submission. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. That's ignorance is what that is. Um, it, it's, that's not what God was intending here. It's the functionality of the relationship. And I, I want you to catch this because as we're going through this, I'm reminded that there's things in, in your family that you will find that uh, husband and wife, you will find that your wife is better at than you are. Then you should give them that responsibility. That's okay. At the end of the day, the husband is... Why, why do you submit to the husband? Because he has a leadership role. He's to lead. And what happens in our world is many husbands don't lead. And because they don't lead, all of a sudden the wife starts to lead. And so she, and then what happens is there, there becomes this, this animosity between the two because, well, he didn't lead. So now you're, 
overshadowing him. And so he feels upset over this thing, right? But in the meantime, there are many things that your wife may be better at than you are. For example, some women are very good with the finances, with the checkbook. My wife is very good with the checkbook. You know what I'm really good at when it comes to money? Spending. If it's in the bank account, I can spend every penny of it, right? And my wife, she has a spreadsheet. I mean, I have, you know, we have the Mac card. <laughs> That's a Pittsburgh statement, isn't it? The Mac card. Only from Pittsburgh do you know what a Mac card is, right? So I have my ATM card to go to the bank, and I pull that out, and I go, and I, I, you know, I get a sheet's hot dog for lunch. Before I get home, my wife says, how was lunch? <laughs> Why? It goes to her phone. I think it must alarm her. Your husband spent $4, right? Okay, she's very good at that. So therefore, I bless her and encourage her in that. And I say, thank you, honey. Just tell me when there's no more money. There's no more money. So it's okay. And and listen, that's how it has to work. You have to understand there's strength and weaknesses in a marriage. So just because you're the husband doesn't mean you have the sole authority on everything. You know what it means? It means you have the responsibility. You have the responsibility to lead your family, to lead them well, to lead them in the ways of righteousness for the sake of Jesus Christ. You have the responsibility to make sure your kids know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You have the responsibility to pour character into your children and into your grandchildren and for generations to come. Like We have responsibility. So there comes a time in a marriage whenever there may be a few Decisions that have to be made, and you've got to work together on those decisions. So submission does not mean that the man makes the decision and the wife just has to obey and do, do whatever he says. That is, would be a dictator. God did not ask men to dictate their homes. He asked them to lead their homes and to lead them well. How can I submit my life to somebody who, who's not a follower of Christ? The, the wife may say, he's not a believer. How can I submit to him? Well, what you do is uh, there comes a point when, it, when he asks you to sin that you don't sin. You don't cross the line. For example, if your husband came home and said, uh, Hey, honey, let's get drunk and go rob the bank tonight. Your answer is no. Now, that's a far-fetched one, isn't it? But just ask Bonnie and Clyde, right? So uh, I, I want you to catch this here. He says, uh, Honey, let's get drunk and knock off the bank around the corner. You say no. You don't do that. Why? Because that would be disobedient to your God. And so this is where friction can come in from time to time in a marriage. You can be, uh, you're living for God and your husband wants to do one thing and there comes a time where you say, no, I can't do that anymore. And But what you do is you are submissive in your spirit about it. And this, this, is, this is what the Scripture tells us, uh, tells us to do. I like what John Piper said. John Piper said that the husband does not replace Christ as the woman's supreme authority. She must never follow her husband's leadership into sin. But even where a Christian wife may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband, she can still have a spirit of submission. She can show by her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will and that she longs for him to forsake his sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony. Likewise, wives, be subject 
submissive to your own husbands. If it doesn't violate God, and listen, this doesn't mean that you don't have a seat at the table. And men, we're going to talk a lot about the men next week. Husbands, you've got to understand something here. This is your, your authority, you know, the responsibility does not mean you're saying, hey, you've got to do whatever I said. My, I make the decision. doesn't matter. And I'll just give you this one little example. Imagine if I come home after church and said, honey, I think God wants us to go to Haiti as a missionary. Let's go. There would be a big discussion. I'd probably be going by myself. Okay? Because it's not a dictatorship. It is a we. See, marriage is not about me. It's about we. Remember that. Young people, if you are single, I want you to catch this because as you are thinking about your mate, you've got to think long. You've got to think responsibly about this. Marriage is about not me. It's about we. Uh, you're young. We've got a lot of newlyweds in the church. I've been doing weddings like crazy. That's all I do sometimes is weddings. Uh, I think I've probably done 50 weddings in the last eight years. But I want you to catch this. We have a lot of young people coming and getting your marriage going. You're a few years into your marriage. Remember, it's about we. It's no longer about me. It's about my uh, us. And so as you put that all together, we, uh, we learn to use that. Now look what he says here. He says, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. What words are you talking about? Some don't obey the word. He's talking about this word, the word of God. You could be an unbeliever, not obey the word. Others say that you could also be a believer and not obey the word. There's things in the Bible that God teaches that we should do and not do. You can, you can not obey the word. The scripture says here, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one to Jesus, to following Christ, without a word, without you having to preach all the time to them. By the conduct of their wives. He says here, and he's not trying to say, don't speak, don't use words. Um, there was a, a statement going around years ago that people have mis, mis, uh, pulled it out and used it wrongly. It says, you know, basically that uh, you know, love all the time and preach the gospel and sometimes use words. Well, you have to use words all the time when you're preaching the gospel. If you're going to give the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection, the good news, new life in Jesus Christ, what do you got to do? You have to say it. You have to tell that I have a new master. I have a new Lord. I want you to follow my Jesus, right? So he's not saying here don't use words, but what he's saying is when the words have been exhausted, and, and he says I want you to live a life and they will see it by your conduct, and it will draw them to Jesus. Uh, I want you to think of this from the vantage point of an unbelieving spouse. So we'll take the example in the Scripture. It's an unbelieving husband. He's not a follower of Jesus Christ. The wife goes to church. She finds God. And she now is excited about the things of Jesus. And she has this new master in her life. It's Jesus Christ. And she loves Jesus. And that's all she talks about. So she wants her husband to come to know Christ. So what does she do? She comes. She knows that he gets home from work at 6 o'clock every day. So she has Billy Graham on the TV, a TV preacher, and she's got him up really loud. And he walks in and he goes, oh, not again. And then, then he goes and he goes to sit down and have dinner. And she says, now let's just read a few verses before we eat our dinner tonight. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he just starts rolling his eyes. 
Why? She started to go to this church. She sings new songs. I don't even know the songs that she sings anymore. They're not on my radio station. So what does she do? She goes into his, into his car at night and sets it to K-Love. She programs all the channels so that they're all K-Love and no longer talk radio, no longer whatever that he listened to, right? It's all K-Love. Uh, she, she now, she, she becomes overbearing at times, and that can happen. And he says, listen, you don't have to do all that. You must use words, but listen, let your life be changed. Let your changed life draw your spouse to Jesus Christ. I like what William Barclay, William Barclay says that the silent preaching of a lovely wife, that's what he's talking about here, the silent preaching of a lovely wife. What a great description. Augustine talks about, and you've heard of Augustine, one of the church fathers throughout the years. Augustine talks about this, how that his mother and father, his mother came to Christ first, and then his dad came to Christ way later in life. And so he watched his mother try to bring his dad to Christ all her life. And, and, and he made a prayer. He wrote down a prayer. And I'm just going to read his prayer that he prayed to God about his mother and his dad. He said, she served, she, his mother, served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her so beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. He came to Christ after a lifetime, after a lifetime of watching this lady. And I'll tell you what, I I can tell you people after people through the years, I've seen a believing spouse with an unbelieving husband, a, 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 a believing wife with an unbelieving husband. They come to church. And the spouse, the husband wanted nothing to do with it. And we prayed. I personally was part of prayer teams for years. There's one in in particular that's coming to my mind. This church, the people of this church prayed for 20 years for this man to come to Jesus Christ. He finally came to Jesus Christ. He is in heaven with the Lord today. Thanks be to God for that. Uh, the, The next quote I'm going to give you here is that her attitude is her most beautiful feature. Her attitude is her most beautiful feature. Not only is her action speak, but now her attitude is her most beautiful feature. And uh, I'm just going to hit this briefly here. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I want you to catch this. Some translations will translate this so that you can understand it a little bit better. They'll say, do not let your adorning be merely external. And that's really the, 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 the Greek wording is like that. Because he says about adorning. This word adorn is, is cosmos. And it's from the, we get the same word cosmetics. Don't let your cosmetics be merely external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry. Today we live in a world that beauty is a $17 billion industry in the United States. $17 billion. Um, let me tell you, folks, there's nothing wrong with looking good. Look at me. I'm a fine example. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with looking good. The, the Scripture is not saying here, don't ever 
do your hair. And listen, the braiding of the hair, that was a common thing back then. So he's not even attacking that. And you look at the other passages, and let me give you what the Bible teaches on women. You've got to hear this. This is so good. Dress modestly. That's the biggest thing I see in the Scriptures, dress modestly. And then you want to dye your hair? Go right on ahead. You want to braid it? You want to wear jewelry? Uh, listen, we can do those things because he says don't just adorn it there let your adornment come from the inside. If you go through and you look through the, the, uh, the history of how long have we been dyeing hair. You know, men actually dyed their hair at one point. I think some still do. Uh, listen, I, I don't, you know, I have just, I have just whatever this is. <laughs> Follically challenged is what that is, right? So, so let, let me tell you, the, the dyeing of hair, I want you to think about this. Go all the way back 2,000 years ago. When this was written, listen, people dyed their hair. People, uh, like some of the most common colors, they, they would dye it uh, like a gold and reds. You, you, you read about this. It's interesting. As a matter of fact, wigs were actually popular throughout the years. Now, think of this. Thousands of years ago, they, they do these archaeological digs now, and they find these wigs. What do you think was one of the most common colors of wigs that they found? What, what color? Red, white, blonde. Blonde was the most common color. I don't know. Maybe blondes had fun 2,000 years ago, too. I don't know. But let, let me tell you this. Here's, here's what it is. Listen, that, and how did they make the wigs? I'm like, how did they make the wigs? Well, they made the wigs. They got the stuff imported from what is now known as Germany. They got blonde hair imported from over there, and they made these wigs. And so people would wear these wigs. And so let me tell you, those weren't just found in the Romans. They were found among the Christian catacombs. So Peter is not telling us here. As a matter of fact, go into the bride, into the Song of Solomon. You want to have fun, young couples? Go get a modern translation and read, <laughs> read the Song of Solomon. It's a beautiful thing. And here's what he does. The bride and the song. Now, you didn't know you were getting this full sermon today, huh? You're 11 o'clock. I can unload it all today, right? Uh, the bride and the Song of Solomon is complimented for the ornaments on her cheeks. And the chains of gold around her neck and the beautiful sandals that she wore. Hubba, hubba, hubba. Listen, it's a good thing. It's a godly thing. And this is why the world doesn't understand it. When you put it all together, a husband and a wife together, and you do this according to how God planned it, you have the most beautiful life. You have the most fulfilled life and he says here that these women should adorn themselves look here proverbs 31 30 look what it says here it says that charm is deceitful and beauty is passing there's nothing wrong with beauty and you know if the old barn needs painted paint it ain't nothing wrong with all that he says but a woman who fears the lord she'll be praised it doesn't mean you have to look homely. I remember whenever I was a young man going on my search for a woman of God. I was at Word of Life Bible Institute. And I thought, man, I have to find the most homely-looking person that I can because that means that they must love God more. And I found out that that's not true because God gave me my righteous fox. That's, that's what I call my wife, my righteous fox, right? But listen, God gave me my beautiful wife. But she loves the Lord. And so, that listen, if you want to you put makeup on, put makeup on. If you want to dye your hair, dye your hair. If you want to wear sandals, 
Well, I'd, I'd prefer not to wear them. Anyhow, my point is this. He says here that the fear of the Lord is where she'll be praised. Look what Peter says there. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person. Don't let your adorning... It, listen, if your adornment stops here with your hair, and it stops here with your earrings, and it stops here with all the jewelry, you're short. You're running short. I'm running long. I'm, you're running short. Okay, here's what it is. You're missing... You are missing the point. He says, what will change your family is going to be this, the imperishable beauty of the hidden person, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You know, gentle, here's what gentle means. It doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean powerless. It means meek, gentle, meek. It means power under control. That's why you can... Submit. You're not less. It is power under control. Quiet. What does quiet mean? Quiet doesn't mean that you don't ever speak. It means tranquil. And listen, men, we all love it when you come home and your wife has a tranquil spirit about your house. My wife knows how to, t- how to deal with this crazy man you're looking at. She knows how when I'm rattled, she has a tranquility that comes across her and it comes from God. And all of a sudden, I can be rattled. I can tell her what a bad day it was. And she goes, I love you. And you know what happens? This tranquility comes across. And these are the godly characteristics that God says to adorn yourself with. And so, folks, I want, I want to encourage you to, ad- to do that. And let me wrap up with this. Verse 5 and 6 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. And he gives you an example. They submitted to their own husbands, not to all men, but to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, why did Sarah call him Lord? It's little L. It's not capital L. It's respect. In other words, Sarah and Abraham, if you go back and you read the story of Sarah Abraham in the Old Testament, you go in the book of Genesis chapter 12, you'll find that God got a hold of Abraham. He was far from God. God got a hold of him and said, I want you to be my follower. And you are going to follow me and you are going to start a great nation. He was 75 years old. He gave him a promise. And he says, I want you to get up and move. You're going to be the father of a great nation. That means you're going to have a baby. And I want you to get a new house. So you're going to have a new baby. So you're going to need a new house. Get up and go. And I'll tell you when to stop when you get there. Now, wives, I want you to think about this. When Father Abraham came home. Honey, I know you're 75. But guess what? God told me we're going to move. And we're going to have a baby. What would your wife do? Yeah, right. You know what she did? She said, okay, I'm going to follow you. And I'm sure there were lots of discussions. And she followed and she went with the Lord. She followed and was obedient. In other words, her role models were people of the Bible. Role models were women of the Bible. And we're going to close with that thought this morning. Ladies... And every one of us, let your role model be the Word of God. TVs, your Internet, your, all the stuff on your phones, there is plenty of that stuff that will destroy your life. 
You'll be looking at things that are the wrong role models. Come and look at the role models of God. This does not mean that Sarah was a mindless, obedient. That, that word obey. I was talking with my wife. She goes, why do they have to use that word obey? I said, well, it's not obey like you think. You think like a little child. Can I eat today? No, that's not what it was. She followed the leadership of God in her family that was through the husband. And so today I want to invite you as, as a church. Next week we're going to come back and we're going to look here. Look what he says to the husbands. He says, likewise to the husbands. We'll pull that verse up. Likewise to the husbands. Um, let me flip over here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so, folks, what I'm telling you is that verse there is the qualification of all that we just talked about today. And we are going to give this to you next week. Men, come and be ready to take lots of notes next week. Wives, take lots of notes for your husband next week because this is going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. So I'm going to ask those that are prepared to serve communion this morning if you'll come and serve communion to the congregation. And as you do, I'm going to take you back to, he says in the verse, he says, likewise, Likewise, what was the likewise all about? Well, the likewise was all about the passage just before it. For this you have been called. And these were the few verses just before this. He says, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Gentlemen, you may please serve the congregation. And as you serve the congregation this morning, as you receive the communion, I'm going to ask each one to take the cup and on the smaller end, open it up and remove the bread. And I'm going to ask you to hold that bread in your hand. And look at that verse on the screen. It says that he committed no sin. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Jesus came to this earth and he paid the price for your sin. That piece of bread you're holding is a symbol of the body that was broken for us. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And when he had broken it, he gave thanks. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And as he did this in remembrance of of the Father, as, we, as he told us to do this in remembrance of the Son, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, I want you to today look at that piece of bread and remember that it was the perfect, the sinless body of Jesus Christ that was broken. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him, to God the Father who judges justly. Father God, we come before you and we thank you so much, Lord, for this broken body, Lord. As we hold this bread in our hands today, Father, every believer in this room is going to worship you by partaking of this symbol today, Lord. We know this is just a piece of bread and you told us to do this to get our focus onto the cross of what Jesus did. Lord God, we can do everything that your word says 
because of what you told us on the cross, Lord. God, we ask that you will now bless us. Lord, we ask that you'll be blessed as we adore you by doing this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Scripture tells us here in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By the welts of Jesus Christ you have been healed. You can have eternal life. Jesus himself, when he took this cup, He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He blessed it and then he passed that cup around and said, this is the covenant. Do this and remember. There's a new covenant. It's not the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given so that you could find out that you missed the mark. Like, I can't keep all the Ten Commandments. Neither can you. And Jesus said, yeah, that's why I gave them. So that you could see the new covenant, the new agreement, the promise between God and man. It's not that you be good, but that you accept the only one who is good enough to pay for your sin. Amen? So let's bless this today and pray over it. Father God, we come before you. We thank you for this juice. We know it's a symbol of the blood that was given for us. And God, as we invite everyone in this house today to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, we know the physical elements, they're just symbols. But Lord, we're coming and we're uniting with that blood that was shed for us on the cross. Thank you, God Almighty, for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. God is good. Amen. God is good. I want to thank you for being here. God is moving in our church. God is stirring our hearts. Let's all stand together and be dismissed. God bless you and have a great weekend.